Welcome to another episode of In My Own Words, a podcast dedicated to showcasing the personal journey of some of Chicago's most influential leaders. I'm your host, Corey Thames, and today I have a good friend of mine, Michael Scott Jr. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Corey. Thanks for having me, sir. <laughs> now, this brother holds uh, a lot of titles for me. Uh, brother, confidant, uh, mentor, um, and has honestly become one of my best friends. And so I'm really excited about having you on the show today. Well, I'm excited to be here, and you have me here uh, in your Jimmy Fallon going on. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a West Side guy, as as I see by by your hoodie. West Side. <laughs> what has the West Side meant to you, and how has it shaped you into who you are? Well, I mean, I, I look at it, you know, some people say the best of both worlds. Um, you know, I think of it as, as the best of, of worst worlds um, for a couple reasons. Uh you know, growing up, all of my friends, South Side, North Side, um, only one from from the West Side of Chicago. Um, but you know, there's there's one thing in particular that just kind of shaped you know who I am and, and and where I wanted to where I wanted to be. Uh, when I was you know seventh grade, twelve years old, um, my dad, who was at the time working for the mayor's office of special events, uh, was at home. And it was Taste of Chicago time. And, you know, he was never at home during Taste of Chicago. He was all out planning and, and doing what he needed to do. And uh, I get off of the bus and he happened to be there. Um, and long story short, somebody had broken into our house, uh, stolen all of the stuff that I would have for, for the summer, my bike, my basketballs, my skates. And when we're walking to the front, I'm almost in tears. And my dad said, you know, don't worry about those things. Those are material items. We can always get them back. Um, as we got to the front, two guys who were breaking in were running across the street. Somebody notified my father. He gave chase after them. Um, and one of the guys, my father said, if you got something, you better use it. And one of the guys had something, pulled a twenty-two out, shot two times, actually hit him in the stomach. Now, I tell that story because, um, not because of the story, but because of what happened afterwards. My father, I went up to him and I said, man, why do we stay on the west side of Chicago if um, – we have people who are going to rob from us and uh, commit bodily harm. And he said to me two things that kind of shaped, you know, why I served and, and why I stay on the West Side. The first was uh, it's not um, where you live, it's how you live. And he raised my sister and I both went away to school, came back and, and served our communities. And, and uh, the other thing he told me was um, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And if we were to leave our community, we would be just as bad as those people who robbed us because we would be robbing uh, our community from, from all the knowledge that we have and all of the things that we have to give to our community. And so um, I use that as a stepping stone to kind of to do, you know, what I've done uh, in my career. And, and that's kind of why I stay on the West Side. And I'm and, and, and very proud of it, as you can see. Well, you have been a, a faithful servant on the West Side, um, and we'll get into that throughout the course of the interview. But uh, I appreciate you coming. Before we get started, I want to do a lightning round of questions. Let's go. Okay. All right. So, Jay-Z or Nas? Uh, so, if you're talking lyrically, we got to go Nas. But if you're talking about songs in general and, and who I like more, I would go with Jay-Z. Okay. Biggie or Tupac? Biggie all day. Okay. Okay. Uh, New Jack City or Menace to Society? Menace to Society. Mm, good choice. Oh, I would have I picked that too. Oh, dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, favorite show on TV right now? That's a tough one uh, because there's a lot of 
stuff that I watch streaming. I just watch Bel Air. I'm right now watching The Best Man Final Chapters. That's really um, good. We got to talk about that. Man, we got to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but but what um, I think that my favorite show this year was Reasonable Doubt. I don't know if you saw that on Hulu. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about a lawyer. Um, really good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to tell people to go out and see it. It just reminded me a lot of my wife and, and, uh, <laughs> and kind of how things roll. Who's the leader that you look up to and why? So the easy answer would be Michael Scott Sr. Mm -hmm. um, however, um, I'm going to go with uh, Benjamin E. Mays, okay. um, who was a, a reverend in the South and uh, traveled to Chicago, University of Chicago, to be educated, went back home and was a president of Morehouse College, which I am an alumni of. And I stayed actually in, in, in Mays Hall, which was named after him. Uh, but he, he, I think, should be credited with the... Um, the civil rights movement, uh, because Morehouse College at that time was so small, uh, he was actually able to mentor um, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Bernard Maynard, who was the first mayor of Atlanta, and uh, the likes of folks like that. He was able to mentor them and teach them the nonviolent way of uh, civil leadership and, and civil rights. Uh, and I, I credit him with the, the start and being the father of the civil rights movement. So I, I really look up to him. Okay. Okay. What's the best piece of advice somebody ever gave you? Best piece of advice is to not chase money, uh, but chase your, your passion, right? And, and if you find your passion, you never really have to work. Last question. What's a mantra that you live by? A rising boat lifts all tides, um, meaning that, you know, if if you do right by everybody in the community uh, or in the city or in the country, then uh, uh, that rising tide helps everybody. OK. All right. I appreciate you doing the landing round. Yeah, let's go. You, let's have, go. you have some good questions, some, <laughs> some good answers. Um, so before before we go into it, I like to start with thinking about a person's upbringing. Right. You know, your upbringing ultimately shaped you into who you are. Your dad, who you mentioned a little while ago, was a giant in the city. Right. He was an advisor to Mayor Daley, um, president of the Chicago Board of Education. Two times. Two times. <laughs> Talk to me about your dad, his legacy and, and how he helped to shape you into who you are and ultimately um, jumpstarted your career in public service. Man, that is that is. Um a really good question. Uh, and when I think about it, you know, I have to answer it in two parts. Um, it is amazing uh, the work that I think that he did and, and the, the way that he poured the love of service into myself and to my sister. Um, you know, as you know, I, I served as alderman in the 24th Ward. My sister currently serves as alderman of the, of the 24th Ward. And I don't think that... Uh, Either of us would have been able to do that without his influence. He told us all the time that service is the only thing more noble than service or serving your community is to be a man or woman of the cloth. And so that's how he raised us. That's every day to go out and serve, go and shovel your neighbor's snow, go and cut your neighbor's grass. Uh, and so that's just kind of how we grew up. And I try as much as possible to, to impart that into my children as well so that they will be able to have the opportunity to serve a, as I have. Um, 
the, the second part of that answer is it was kind of tough, right? Um, when you have somebody who is a giant in the city of Chicago and everybody knows their name and everybody knows their face and you have the same name and ultimately have the same, same face, face. <laughs> uh, it becomes difficult. And I remember when I got out of college and I, I went to attempt to get into that service aspect of uh, community service. And I, I was working for the Chicago Park District and I happened to be the park supervisor over at Douglas Park because I was in the community and, and my father was still so relevant in the community. People would come there every day and say, you didn't get this job. Your daddy gave you this job and, and you shouldn't have this job. And, you know, this is nepotism. And, you know, um, and my thought to that is ultimately, um, even if somebody gives somebody a, a open a door for them, you still have to walk through it. Right. Uh, and so I, it was challenging for me. I, I had to oftentimes um, want to disassociate myself with my father and the name. Um, but as uh, I continued to work and to kind of make my own way, uh, it became a little bit easier. And, and ultimately, uh, it is actually a blessing, you know, to be able to walk in somebody's shoes that are so large. Now, sometimes you trip in those shoes because they are large shoes to fill. Mm -hmm. uh, but but if you're able to, to walk that path, ultimately, it becomes um, something that is, in my opinion, amazing and, and has benefited myself, my sister, my family in, in such a huge way. Um, and I am so glad to be called Michael Scott Jr. and to follow in his footsteps. Do you think you'd be surprised that you ended up running and serving as alderman? Not really. Uh, before he passed, he passed in, in, in 2009. Before he passed, I was contemplating running. Uh, and he, he never wanted me to, to, to run. He, he ultimately said, hey, you know, don't go my route. Go and make some money. Once you make some money, then come back and serve. Uh, but he, I think he knew that. I wanted to be like him. I wanted to follow in his footsteps. I wanted to serve. Uh, and so he never discouraged me. Um, he just encouraged me to make money before I came and served. And I wish I had to follow that. that uh, <laughs> I wish I had to follow his advice. Okay. So you grew up on the West Side during the height of the gang pandemic, the drug pandemic. Um, and I think what we see now is so many young black boys have – trouble navigating their environments, right? And ultimately end up, you know, whether it, it be injustice involved or using, how were you able to navigate your environment? It is not because of me, right? It, not because of me at all. Um, when people say family matters, mm -hmm. it, it really does matter. Uh, I have so many friends that have fallen victim to gun violence. I have so many friends who have fallen into that that uh, highway of, of drug use. Uh, I've, I've had so many folks who uh, ultimately uh, have not had the chances that I have had. And again, it is, it is all because of my family, because of my mother uh, and the way that she raised us and, and was always there it was because of my father and me being able to see him get up every day even if he wasn't working, I remember talking to him as, a, as an adult that there was a time where he wasn't employed. Um, but I never knew that until I became an adult because every day he got up, he put on a suit and he walked out of the door. So he would show his children uh, that you got to get up every day and you got to work. And so, you know, I was a knucklehead. You know, I wanted to hang around with the boys on the block. Mm -hmm. um, 
and ultimately my father just not would allow that. My mother would not allow that. Um, and even more still, and, and something that I don't think that you mentioned is community. There was a bunch of community members around me who saw more in me than I saw in myself and would go back and tell my parents when I would do something that was foolish, right? Um, and so ultimately I'm, I'm just blessed to have had structure around me to keep me in place, keep me balanced. Gotcha. Okay. So you went to Whitney Young, went to Whitney class Young. of 94. That's right. And you went on to Morehouse and you majored in political science and government? That is correct. Okay. Um, what prompted your decision to go to Morehouse? One, first question. Second question is uh, you majored in political science and government and ended up serving as an elected official. Did you know then that you wanted to run for office? So yes and no, right? Um, I, I got a couple of stories that I'll tell you along this this trail, if, if you will <laughs> okay. allow. <laughs> um the first is when I got down to Morehouse College, um, I, I, I played football in, in, in high school. And so um, I had a couple of offers to go to, I had like FAM, North Dakota State, but it, who going to go to North Dakota? Black boy <laughs> in North Dakota. So, <laughs> so um, my father told me, hey, listen, if, you, if you're that good, you can go anywhere and you can walk on. Uh, so when I got down, I had, I had chosen, it was Clark or Morehouse, and, you know, mm -hmm. they're right next to each other, and we view both campuses, and my heart was set on going to Clark, man. Uh, Morehouse is all male, if you didn't know, if your listeners or watchers don't know, it's all male. I didn't want to be around a whole bunch of dudes, uh, <laughs> and so I <laughs> I wanted to go to Clark, and and, and we got into the, to the room, and my father would say, okay, so which one are you going to, because we hadn't unpacked anything, he just let me see both of them, he said, which one are you going to go to, and I said, Clark, and he said, no, you're not, <laughs> <laughs> he said, you, you're going to go to Morehouse, um, and I'm glad he he did that, uh, I, I learned so much at, at Morehouse, and we can talk about that uh, at a later date. Uh, the, the second part of, about that story um, is the fact that um, at, at the end of the day, um, you know, you can go, you can go anywhere you want. You can go, you can go mm -hmm. anywhere, um, but you still got to work hard. And like I said earlier, people can, can open up doors for you, but you got to walk through them. And so if I went to Clark, I, you know, I would have had to work hard uh, to, to be where I wanted to be. But when I talk about being alderman, I I flirted with the idea when I was young. My mother, you know, just like my father served in city government for a long, long time. And she was um, the ward superintendent uh, during Michael Chandler's time in office in the 24th Ward. And I remember sitting, having a conversation with him one day, and, and he ultimately said, um, hey, what is it that you want to do when you grow up? And I said, what does an alderman do? And he was like, well, we, we get to serve the people and, you know, we help our constituents get opportunities and you know, legislate and blah, 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 and this and the other. And I said, well, I want your job. Um, and, that, <laughs> um, and, and that's so the first you, time you manifested I manifested it. Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, so it, it, that was my first thought about it. But, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer, Corey. Yeah. I, um, but when I was down at, at, in Atlanta at Morehouse, I, I got the opportunity to, to intern at a, um, at a law firm, and I, I just didn't enjoy um, 
the the scavenger or money grab that the lawyers have to do to be a now you can do all kind of other and I didn't really think about that at the time you can be all kind of lawyers my wife is a lawyer and she does contract law she doesn't have to do any of those things but my my experience at that law firm was not one that um warranted me to continue to to do that and so when I got home um service was on the menu okay so Many don't know that. I mean, a lot of folks know you as Alderman Michael Scott, but many don't know that after you graduated college, you spent 15 years working in government before you even ran for office, and mostly at the Park District. I know you did a stint at CPS, too. Yes, I did. I, so, I, you know, if you put if you put all of my years of service together, uh, including Aldermanic, I'm somewhere around 26, 27 years of service. Um, I served at, at, you know, interned at CTA. I, I worked for the Park District twice. I worked for the Public Building Commission for a couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked over at CPS and Sports Administration for several years. And so um, I've been jumping in and out of, of city government for the last 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. And I'm close to 50 now. So, yeah, the last. I know. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I know when you when you finished uh, at the park district, you were area manager. I was. And um, talk to me about some of your, your biggest accomplishments. So, um, you know, as an area manager, you're you're you, you middle management. So it's, it's really tough to to pull and get things done. But, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really proud of over at the park district and, and what I did, you know, in addition to increasing enrollment at, at parks on the west side like Douglas and, and Columbus and La Follette and, uh, you know, every park on, on the west side was pretty much mine, Home and Square, um, in, increasing enrollment and in, in programs. One of the things that I created while I was there was the West Side Music Festival, which was a, a free outdoor concert um, that ran for about eight or nine years uh, prior to COVID. And you know, served, I would say, close to 150,000 people with free entertainment. And it was one of the, the passions that, that I had while I was there uh, and something that, that I remember vividly and, and very fondly um, starting at, at the Park District. Okay. Now, let's, let's fast forward to 2015, well, well really 2014, if, you, if we're being technical. And you're thinking about running for alderman. And I'm sure asking yourself all the questions, right? Can I do this? Who'll support me? Where's my money coming from? All of the important questions that anybody would ask themselves yes, sir. that's going to run for office. Walk me through your thought process um, and ultimately what made you decide to, you know, decide to throw your name in, throw your name in the hat. Let me ask that question one more time. Okay. So, <clears throat> so let's fast forward to 2015. Uh, really 2014, right? And you are deciding whether or not you're going to run for alderman. And you're asking yourself all of these questions, right? Who will support me? Should I do this? Where's my money going to come from? Um, what me, walk me through your, your thought process to actually step out there and throw your name in the hat. And what, what prompted you to want to do it anyway? So, um, you know, a lot of my a lot of my references are going to be to my father, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, ultimately, um, I'm Michael Scott Jr., and, and and a lot of my thought process comes from him. 
And and what he told me before he passed and when I was thinking about running prior to that is, you know, all of the things that you talked about, about money and getting those things. But he he told me that, one, you don't make the decision to run, right? People should ask you to run. People should ask you to serve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people aren't asking you to serve, then it, it's not your time. Um, and so people were asking me to, to put my hat in, in the, to, into the arena. Um, the other thing that he, he kind of told me and, and, and taught me was, um, you don't just do it to, to get your name out. You really have to, you really have to serve. And one of the reasons why he wanted me to have money before I went into elected office is he, he always said a broke politician is um, a politician that can be compromised yeah. because you always have to go out and you have to ask folks for money. Uh, and so uh, the need was there. People were asking me. Um, and at that time, the the incumbent, uh, guy rest his soul, um, Michael Chandler, was wavering on whether or not he was going to run. And when he decided that he wasn't, and I just kind of said, hey, this I think this is the right time. Uh, it's a, it's an open seat. It is, yeah, I thought I had the name recognition to raise the dollars to do so. Uh, and, and I thought it was a perfect storm. Uh, now, what people don't tell you is <laughs> when you're running is they say they, they're going to help you. And if they say they're going to give you $5, and usually they're going to give you a dollar, right? Um, something, something to that effect. And so um, raising money was very difficult. Uh, making sure that you stay on brand and stay on message. And there were 13 people who ran in that, in that race, that, that time and just really difficult, but I'm glad I did it, man. I'm glad I did it. I'm, I, I perfect storm happened and, and we ended up running away with it. Okay. So last year you, um, after serving seven years on the city council decided to step away and, accepted a role with Cinespace Film Studios as Director of Community and Industry Relations. Yep. Walk me through what, why was last year the time to to leave City Council? Um, what are you doing at, at Cinespace and how can folks get more in tune with um, all the stuff happening over there? So uh, let's let's take it in reverse order because I, I, I might forget. So um, if, if you're looking to, to connect with me at Cinespace, uh, cinespace.com, and look up Cinecares, Mm -hmm. um, which is a a program that we run uh, to help young folks get into the industry. Um, And so let's flip back to to why I left. Um, COVID was really taxing on, you know, a lot of people, Mm -hmm. uh, especially me and my my family. And so um, what what I wanted to to do is because I never thought I would do more than eight years anyway. Um, I, I flirted with the idea of leaving after four years. I've, if you go back and look at my interviews in the Sun Times and in the Tribune uh, when I first ran, I said I wanted to do two terms. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to stay to that because I believe if you stay in elected office too long, you become complacent. It becomes too easy for you to do, and th- that leads to corruption and, and the the ability to be corrupted. Um, so eight years was going to be my my max anyway. I wanted to leave and put somebody in place who would continue 
the ideals, um, the focus on community, the focus on economic development that we started when when I was there. I set the table very well for whomever the next alderman would be, uh, and I'm, I'm happy and, and, and blessed that it has been my sister so I can help walk her through the hoops and the hurdles that mm -hmm. come along with this job and, and really are able to help her smooth out and, and sail into those uh, or that table that we've set very well. And I think she's, she's doing a magnificent job of that. Um, but, you know, the opportunity was something that I couldn't walk away from, and it gave me the opportunity to continue to serve, to be a center space. And so when you, you talk about director of community engagement and community engagement and, and industry relations, it's just a fancy title for external affairs and, and government affairs. And so over there, I'm, I'm able to liaise with the unions that are all in the, the, the show business industry. Um, be able to to liaise with the folks on city and state government to make sure that uh, things that we need in, in at the studio get done. But the thing that I'm I'm most hands on with and I'm, I'm most proud of at at the studio is the Cinecares program, and that's where we take young people and we put them in below the line jobs. So and a below the line job is so we're above the line, right? So we're the actors. We're in front of the camera right now. We're talking. We're above the line. Um, the folks who make us look good, the folks who make us sound good, the folks who are on the other side of that glass, the 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 light techs, the the sound guys, the the grips, the people who put the sound and and um, the studio together, all the folks that are below the line. And if you look at Hollywood and you look at um, the movie industry and, and, and episodic television, it's not enough people who look like you and me, people who are brown and black that are in that industry. And Cinespace, I'm sorry, Cinecares allows me the opportunity to pull some folks that look like us, some folks who are brown and black into this industry. And so over five years, we've had about 75 folks who've gone through, the, through our Cinecares program. And 40 of them um, either have their their um, union card in the business, and these are folks 18 to 24, have their union card or are on track to get their union card. Mm -hmm. Another you know, 15, 20 of them are, are trying to amass hours. And so uh, it has been a, a wildly successful program, uh, something that I am very proud of and something that I hope to expand and bring more folks of color into uh, the, the show business industry. So I have oh, again, let me be just so you, you your listeners and, and um, viewers, just so they know, cinespace.com, um, look up the Cinecares program, send an, send an email and somebody will get back to you. Cool. I have two more questions for you. So um, first question is now we live in and part of it is, is due to social media, right? All of these Instagrammable moments, right? And we talk with leaders about their accomplishments, right? You see that you see that on social media, you know, that's most of the discussion points, but we don't talk about failure or struggles mm -hmm. a lot. What was if you had to think about one moment that um you would classify as a failure or a struggle area, what was that moment and ultimately how did you overcome that? So, I can't give you one moment, Corey, cuz Every time I start a, a new position, there is an opportunity to fail. Uh, there's an opportunity uh, for you not to to feel like you're doing your best, and that's that's happened everywhere I've gone. Mm -hmm. It happened at the Park District uh, when I was a, a supervisor and in, in, in clashes with folks who were above me. It happened when I went to CPS in, in Sports Administration and trying to 
learn the bureaucracy there and get that done. It happened as an alderman, you know, trying to get development and hoping that your development comes as, as, as fast as folks want it to happen and, and it just doesn't come. Um, and, and so with me, without without those failures and without understanding the trials and tribulations associated with it, then you don't you never know your successes mm -hmm. and you never know that the small things that you do, how successful they are. And so, um, you know, I, I fail pretty much every day. Um, I fail in all kind of aspects, you know, not just work at home with family, with kids, with my wife. Um, but but those failures ultimately, you know, it's like one step back, two steps forward, shows me the roadmap of where I need to be to be successful. Okay. Last question is, the show is called In My Own Words, and it was a lot of intentionality around that because we're showcasing the journeys and the stories of some of our most influential leaders. Who is Michael Scott Jr. in your own words? So in my own words, I am a son. I am a father. I'm a husband. I'm a friend. Um, and most importantly, a, a man of God and faith. Um, and so if, if you had to to say, um, Michael Scott, I hope that people would, um, would remember me by those, those words. Michael Scott, thank you for being one of my first guests for In My Own Words. It's, it's been an honor to sit and talk to you, brother. I appreciate it, sir.